0: The search is over. We have our can't-miss breakout wide receiver for 2017. His name is Devonte Parker. Go to our rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings, and there you will see something interesting. You'll see Devontae Parker has moved ahead of Jarvis Landry in the rankings. Why is this? Preseason matters. Preseason absolutely matters because we were talking to Sean Siegel last week, lamenting the lack of breakout wide receivers available to us in rounds four, five, six. A wasteland for wide receivers. Until Devontae Parker put on a laser light show in preseason tethered to Jay Cutler. Because when we had Warren Sharp from Sharp Football on, he questioned whether or not Jay Cutler could operate as a starting NFL quarterback after shoulder surgery. Cutler was already in decline. Then he goes in for shoulder surgery. You have to question whether or not the velocity will return. That's why we have preseason. So we can observe Jay Cutler. I was most interested in watching Jake Cutler this preseason, and he delivered. He locked on to Devontae Parker and whipped the football out there, unlike Ryan Tannehill was capable of. As it turns out, Jake Cutler is an upgrade over Ryan Tannehill, and a healthy Jake Cutler is an upgrade, of course, over Matt Moore at this point. This was all a question mark before preseason, Now the questions have been answered. And when interviewed, Jay Cutler was not shy about his affinity for Devontae Parker. He wants to feed Devontae Parker. He said it doesn't matter if Devontae Parker's open or not. He will send him the football. A reporter asked him, what if Parker's not open? And Cutler responded quickly, saying it doesn't matter. If we're going to come on this show and complain year after year that the Dolphins continue to feed the inefficient Jarvis Landry, that he does not deserve the target share that he was bequeathed. How could we continue to rank Jarvis Landry ahead of Devontae Parker when our prayers have been answered? A new quarterback has arrived that will not be feeding Jarvis Landry at the same rate that Ryan Tannehill was. Jarvis Landry's production was a product of Ryan Tannehill's limitations close to 300 targets the last two seasons is a direct result of Ryan Tannehill's inability to play quarterback at a high level. But we know Jay Cutler's capable of playing quarterback at a high level. He's just very, very inconsistent and makes horrible decisions. But in Chicago, he was able to sustain two fantasy viable wide receivers, high-end fantasy receivers in Brandon Marshall and Alshon Jeffrey, and Devontae Parker looks a lot like Alshon Jeffrey. Stylistically, Parker and Jeffrey are very similar. According to the numbers, Devontae Parker is most similar to AJ Green on playerprofiler.com. Devontae Parker looks like a bigger, more explosive AJ Green. (laughs) That's amazing, right? That's what he is. Devontae Parker looks the part of a proper NFL X receiver, a go-to target hog that can be efficient in the face of huge volume. We've been waiting for this wide receiver to come along. Who's the next guy to join the ranks of A.J. Green and Julio Jones and Demarius Thomas? Who's the next guy, the next young receiver to ascend? I've decided it must be Devontae Parker through A, process of elimination, and B... Analysis of his profile and the preseason. Because Parker's dominating the target share with Jay Cutler. It's clear that Jay Cutler views Devontae Parker as his number one option, not Jarvis Landry. And passes targeting Devontae Parker have more value because they have more target depth. And he's more efficient. He's able to go up in traffic and convert contested catches in a way that Jarvis Landry could never do, converting contested catches above the defense on the outside. That's not Jarvis Landry's game. That's why Jarvis Landry is best deployed as a number two option for an offense. Devontae Parker is best deployed as the focal point of a passing game, the X receiver on the outside. So now the Miami Dolphins have the ideal talent configuration with Parker at X, stills, as a stretch Z and sliding Landry into the slot. That puts pressure on the defense in all quadrants of the football field. Because when Devontae Parker was healthy last season, he was targeted by Ryan Tannehill 20% of the time, 35th in the league in target share. That's significant. He was efficient, above average production premium, plus 9.1. Above average yards per target, 8.5. We've loved Devontae Parker going all the way back to his time at Louisville. After Amari Cooper, the wide receiver with the best talent profile of the 2015 rookie class Devontae Parker by a wide margin it's Amari Cooper it's Devontae Parker and then a chasm to the next guy the idea that Kevin White was drafted before Devontae Parker was ridiculous we said that at the time and it continues to look ridiculous in hindsight because he had the 109.5 height adjusted speed score 89th percentile with exceptional burst So the athleticism measurables are there. The college dominator was there. 46.3% at Louisville, a Division I program. That's an incredible dominator rating with a 19.9 college yards per reception. But the film grinders didn't like Devontae Parker coming out of Louisville. No, they didn't like his technique. Too sloppy. Sloppy route runner. That was the criticism of Devontae Parker. We've never called Devontae Parker a sloppy route runner. But the Twitter analysts who claim to be wide receiver footwork gurus... Were critical of Devonte Parker's footwork and his route running. Yeah, mm. except when Alshon Jeffrey was dominating in Chicago, he wasn't dominating with footwork. He was dominating with explosive athleticism, size-adjusted athleticism, a catch radius that could blot out the sun. That's what allowed Alshon Jeffrey to excel, tethered to Jay Cutler in Chicago, and that's what will allow Devontae Parker to excel in Miami. So after that third preseason game, you saw a shift in our rankings where up went Devontae Parker, down went Jarvis Landry based on the law of the conservation of targets. We have our breakout wide receiver for 2016. His name is definitively Devontae Parker. Now his floor is still... 700 yards, because we haven't seen Devontae Parker be more than a 700-yard receiver in the NFL. But his ceiling? His ceiling is 1,500-yard receiver, as long as Jay Cutler is healthy and his arm has some elasticity. So that's the type of player you would draft in a tournament-style league, in a tournament setting. We've talked about this on multiple shows now. Real-time fantasy sports has draft master Best Ball League's. And allows you to enter tournaments. So Draftmaster Best Ball GPP style redraft leagues. The Real-Time Sports Fantasy Football Championship is a 144 team tournament with a $32,000 prize pool paying $10,000 to the grand prize winner. So join a Draftmaster Best Ball League today on Real-Time Fantasy Sports. Go to rtsports.com forward slash underworld and make sure you're drafting Devontae Parker in best ball leagues. My God, man, he's a must have happy to draft Devontae Parker in the fourth round, particularly if a Ty Montgomery has been selected earlier. Once Montgomery is off the board, green light to draft Devontae Parker. We had some other movement up and down our rankings this week based on preseason performances. Martavis Bryant, Rose, Because of course he did. How could he not? He was reinstated. There's been this cloud of uncertainty around Martavis Bryant as that cloud lifts. His ranking lifts and Ben Roethlisberger lifts. You saw Ben Roethlisberger rise in the rankings. Why? More certainty around Martavis Bryant. You also saw Tyrod Taylor fall fall below Sam Bradford. Why? Because Tyrod Taylor doesn't have any receivers. He lost Sammy Watkins and Jordan Matthews has a broken sternum. Charles Clay could lead the Bills in targets early in the season. Do you want to draft a quarterback whose number one receiver early in the season is Charles Clay? Of course you don't. Now, Randall Cobb is also moving up and DeVonte Adams is moving down. Cobb and Adams are converging because they will be playing similar snap shares and similar roles in a similar offense. So we believe their production will be similar. This is the information you can glean from preseason. You can see who's playing in two and three receiver sets and who the quarterback is favoring. So for example, we had to move Ted Ginn up and Willie Sneed down. I don't want to move Willie Sneed down. Who the hell wants to move Willie Sneed down? But we had to move Willie Sneed down because the New Orleans Saints weren't playing Willie Sneed in two receiver sets this preseason. It was Ted Ginn. So we had to move Ginn up and move Sneed down. Out of necessity, because we're just rational. This is not emotional. This is clinical. As well, Terrell Pryor rises because there's more and more uncertainty around Josh Doxson. As the uncertainty veil lifts around Martavis Bryant, it moves over and clouds the future of Josh Doxson, because I wasn't sure what would happen with Josh Doxson versus Terrell Pryor this year. They have similar skill sets. They're both size speed specimens with incredible wingspans, great catch radius for both players. Both could be red zone monsters. The presence of Josh Doxson was depressing Terrell Pryor's ranking this season, but a couple things happened in preseason. Josh Doxson experienced multiple injuries after rehabilitating his injured Achilles last season. Doxson was healthy for very few practice sessions, was a non-entity in the preseason, and has not been able to develop rapport or trust with Kirk Cousins. That rapport and that trust is building with Terrell Pryor. So Terrell Pryor has to rise in the rankings as Josh Doxson's prospects this season fade. It's just rational. This is just business. It's not emotional. We'll have J.J. Zacharyson on. We'll ask him about Terrell Pryor. Maybe he has some thoughts on Ben Roethlisberger. And if you just want to set up a quick Draftmaster Best Ball League on your phone, I suggest Draft. Go to PlayDraft.com or go to your app store, search Draft. Download the Draft app. It's the quick and easy mobile best ball app. And the beauty is they give you a choice. Fast Draft or Slow Draft. I choose Fast Draft. Others choose Slow Draft. You can join a 12-person league or a 5-person league. You want to have a super team? Join a 3-person league. The platform is incredibly flexible, so flexible that once the season starts, you can start joining weekly DFS contests too. It's the only platform that supports both seasonal redraft best ball leagues as well as DFS. And the beauty of Draft's DFS platform is that rosters are created using Snake Draft. So everyone has a unique lineup. So go get Draft now. And when you sign up, use the promo code underworld to get free entry into a best ball league with your first $10 deposit. Now, let's go talk to JJ Zacharison from Number Fire. Follow him at Late Round QB. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. The man, the legend, my guy, J.J. Zacharison, editor-in-chief at Numberfire and the host of the Late Round podcast, J.J. Zacharison. Talk to me. What's going on, buddy? I'm just, uh, I'm ready for football season and I am continuing to live my life like it's a romantic comedy. Yes, that, the callback. 30 seconds in, you're calling back. This is why you're the best. It's been a few months, Mm -hmm. and now... Football season is upon us. We've been talking about it for weeks and weeks. Oh, football season's almost here. I can't wait for football season. Now, actually, it is almost here. Now we can say it's almost here. Now it's okay to start to get excited. We're about to see what this Patriots offense can do, and so many other questions are going to be answered. But before then, we can speculate, and oftentimes, JJ and I are right with our speculations. Like, for example... Julian Edelman is out for the season, so we need to speculate on what that means for the other receivers in that Patriots passing game. Do you have the answers? Um, I, I think I have an
1: answer. Uh, I, I don't think that this is a situation where one, one guy is going to see uh, a huge, huge uptick in volume. And The reason I say that,
0: we've seen... No windfall target volume.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and look, this is the difference between a, a running back and a wide receiver, AKA a zero RB approach. And something that happens with wide receivers is that when a wide receiver goes down, you don't assume that role. You don't assume that volume goes to one person. Whereas as we see in Kansas city and other situations where a running back gets hurt, that volume is going to go to a running back, making him very, very fantasy viable. The free square running back Kareem hunt. Yes. And with Julian Edelman, what I think is going to happen is they're going to continue to run those two wide sets that we see a lot. So we'll have Chris Hogan on the field a lot. Brandon Cook's on the field a lot. That's no different than last season. Chris Hogan led the team in snaps last season. So to me, you know, Chris Hogan, if they if they move him into the slot a little bit more, which could happen, I think they're going to move personnel around a lot. Chris Hogan's going to see somewhat of an uptick in targets. I still think that he's
0: a great speculative ad. Somewhat of an uptick.
1: Yeah. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying, though, is, is that Regardless, he's still a good add just because if he does end up taking that slot rule, then obviously he's going to blow up. (laughs) Uh, But I do think what's going to happen, blow up in in terms of being a a wide receiver two in fantasy, essentially.
0: Yeah, he's going to go to best case scenario. Best case scenario for Chris Hogan is WR2 in fantasy. Right.
1: But but what I think is going to happen is that volume gets spread around, you know, the guy who's probably going to see... The biggest uptick in percentage of volume is Danny
0: Amendola, only because he was only going to see like 15 targets before this right. injury happened. Yeah, you go from no targets to some targets. Congratulations, Danny. Way to go, buddy. You won. I,
1: I will say, though, that I think they're going to utilize their running backs a lot more out of the back. There's a report that came out today. Ross Tucker tweeted it out uh he was talking to some patriots guy I wish I could cite him so I'm sorry this is a this is a podcast we don't cite things properly right. uh but but the, the the dude was talking about how Mike Gillisley would take the blunt role which wouldn't be a surprise and they would throw Rex Burkhead a lot into that slot role which I thought was really, really intriguing. That's a really different type of weapon that they've had in the past. You don't need a ton of speed in that role. Uh, so I, I, I could see something like that happening. Dion Lewis and James White, I think, could, could see more volume as well. So while, you know, Brandon Cooks to me, you know, I love Brandon Cooks as a Woo! player. And I know that you love Brandon Cooks as a player as well. Um, the thing is, though, is that where he was being drafted in redraft leagues, you know, right after that Amari, Dez, Doug Baldwin tier, uh, where he's being drafted in fantasy, I, I don't know how much further he can rise just in terms of general rankings. So, like, I I think he should rise a bit. And I feel a lot better about getting Brandon Cooks in the second round of that Roto World draft that we're doing right now. Congratulations. Great job before the injury. Right. Right. But but I I don't necessarily assume or want to assume that he should be something like a late first round pick, because if you want a late first round pick in fantasy, you're hoping for one hundred and fifty plus targets. And I don't. I don't see that happening for Brandon Cooks in this offense because the only outside receiver that we've ever seen succeed with Tom Brady in fantasy football is really Randy Moss right? And this is a team that's going to focus and funnel their volume into the slot, utilize Gronk, utilize those running backs out of the backfield. Brandon Cooks is an amazing, amazing asset from a real football perspective. I still think he's going to be very good from a fantasy football perspective, but I don't want to overstate what this injury does to Brandon Cooks fantasy value.
0: We're not sure. We're not. It doesn't bump the projection up that much. I mean, I reran the numbers and he went from just outside the top 10 to just inside the top 10. But being just inside the top 10 in seasonal leagues doesn't make you a first-round pick. You're not drafting Brandon Cooks ahead of Des Bryant and Jordy Nelson. You're just not. They have touchdown upside. You can write down double-digit touchdowns for Des Bryant and Jordy Nelson this season. You absolutely cannot do that with Brandon Cooks. You can hope for the best. You can hope that he somehow scores 10 touchdowns. It's possible he will score numerous long touchdowns, and they may use him out of the slot in the red zone especially. And so you can see him getting 10 touchdowns that way, but no one's projecting Brandon Cooks all else being equal to get 10 touchdowns this year. So you can't draft him ahead of Dez. You can't draft him ahead of Jordy. But he's now absolutely locked in as a second-round pick. And the nice thing is, the upside is top-five wide receiver in the NFL. If he plays significant slot snaps, we just don't know. I know the guys in New England are speculating about Burkhead, and we can weave scenarios. And have a lot of fun doing it. We have whole shows dedicated to this whole idea of trying to predict what's going to happen, but we can't. What it does is it shifts his range of outcomes. We talk about that all the time, the difference between a projection and a range of outcomes. What it does is it really enhances the upside without necessarily creating a major shift in the projection. Because you just can't project him to get more than 130 targets this season. That's aggressive. You just can't do it. Maybe, again, it's possible. But if we're trying to be accurate, if it's for our lives, we have to be accurate. We can't project him to command more than 130 targets, but he will project a lot more targets than some were projecting for him two weeks ago because the whole argument was, well, you know, Julian Edelman's there, and Julian Edelman's not going away, and, well, if Julian Edelman goes away, maybe we can have a conversation, but Julian Edelman's not going away. Julian Edelman's not going away. Well, I like Brandon Cooks, but Julian Edelman's not going away. Well, Julian Edelman just went away. He just went away. The thing you wanted to happen... Just happened. The thing you said needed to happen. For it to happen, for Brandon Cooks this year happened. (laughs) And yet, he's not a top five receiver in any projections. And if someone's projecting him to be a top five receiver, those projections are wrong, but you can still draft him in the second round to get maximum upside with also a high floor. That's the beauty of a Brandon Cooks is he has a high floor in the NFL's most efficient and prolific offense and has an incredible ceiling just in case Bill Belichick walks into the wide receiver film room or calls the offensive coordinator into his office and says, I want this offense to revolve around Brandon Cooks. I want him to be the focal point. Bend your will to get Brandon Cooks the ball. If the best matchup on the field is Brandon Cooks in the slot, play him in the slot every snap. If that conversation happens at the Patriots facility, (laughs) oh my God, then he could be the best receiver in the league. But we haven't seen it, and we can't project it until we see it. So that's why we don't tout vapor on this show. We just don't tout vapor stats on this show. We have to see it at least once from a wide receiver to project him in the top five. We just do. But we also know his ability. We know this is a four-three-three wide receiver. He has one of the best agility scores we've ever seen. He was one of the most productive college receivers we have ever seen. He's from the famous 2014 wide receiver class. He checks all the boxes except size that you would ever want a wide receiver to check. He looks as close to explosive Antonio Brown as a wide receiver can look. That's Brandon Cooks. So it's okay to get excited, but get out of here drafting him in the first round. Get out of here with that. I
1: would say, too, that I, I, I think that what this did and what you talked about is it gives him a, a, a floor. It gives him a floor that you feel a lot more comfortable week to week, because I'll tell you what, I was not on Brandon Cooks in the late second round prior to the injury, which is why I was afraid of of the pick in general. You know, the only reason to me why Brandon Cooks was being drafted where he was, similar to Terrell Pryor in a way, because we know the floor is there just because of ambiguity, is because of supply and demand, and there really was not there. It's just a a, a, a darkness that hits in that late second round when it when it comes to fantasy assets available, and that's why Brandon Cooks was just kind of naturally there. But what this injury does is, look, people who see an injury happen to a wide receiver and don't shift around the number of the the, the potential volume of of other wide receivers in that offense. So, so, for instance, if a wideout goes down, if you assume another wideout starting wideout on that team does not see an uptick in volume you're doing it wrong. Anytime that there's a guy who goes down that sees significant volume, literally everyone else on that team is going to see it's it's literally a pie, right? And every other guy is going to have a bigger piece of that pie when that guy goes down because you're sharing
0: his pie. It's really not that difficult to understand. You know what you're talking about? There is a law that was explained on this show. It's the law of the conservation of targets. That is what you just outlined. Yeah, I mean, this is this is why
1: it's also, like I said before, completely different than the running back position. It's it's split up a lot more between these wide receivers. It's generally what we see. It's not like Brandon Cooks is going to go from 120 targets to all of a sudden seeing all of Julian Edelman's volume and finishing the year with 280 targets this season.
0: I want him to be a target hog. Nothing would make me happier. I just haven't seen it yet. And until I see it, I can't project it. I have to be conservative. That's just how we do things. That's the difference between our rankings and actually drafting. You might not have drafted Brandon Cooks based on the rankings in the late second round, but when you're drafting based on floors and ceilings and you're accounting for his upside, then it makes sense to draft a Brandon Cooks. And I know you also love Terrell Pryor. So Terrell Pryor, as you mentioned, it's the same thesis that we haven't seen it yet, but we know he has the ability as the signature size speed specimen in the NFL post-Calvin Johnson in a high octane, very... Passing centric offense. The range of outcomes for Terrell Pryor is wide, but also at the high end, incredibly exciting. You agree? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, Pryor is someone. I, look, I'm not. I'm not this kind of analyst, but I'm going to say it on this show. When Terrell Pryor was traded or was signed with Washington, rather. One of my first reactions was that he had top 10 upside in fantasy football, and there was a lot of of heat that I took whenever I said that. Uh, And and the main reason is you're matching a guy who can get down the field, who has the skill set to stretch the field, who was 20th in air yards per target out of 93 possible 50 or, or qualified receivers, 50 plus target receivers last season in an offense that was was, was awful, in, in Cleveland's offense. He was still getting down the field, still had a good air yards profile. You're matching him with Kirk Cousins, who was number one in the league in air yards per attempt last year. Granted, he had Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson makes every quarterback better, but...
0: but- Thank you for saying that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If, if Terrell Pryor takes on the D-Jacks role plus some, uh, he could he could have a really, really nice fantasy season, which I, I think is a very, very strong possibility. I'm getting turned off. Look, I don't I don't put a ton of stock into the preseason, but this offense has looked dreadful in the preseason. Uh, and I, I do have some worry about just the offense in general. No run game whatsoever. Um, Kirk Cousins looks pretty
0: bad. Um, I, I'm, I'm a little fearful from that perspective. There are some good corners in the NFC East and they cross against the AFC West and the NFC West. So when you see them crossing against Arizona, Seattle, Denver... San Diego, Kansas City, the schedule's not great. All the no. wide receivers in the NFC East have an asterisk this year because the schedule is incredibly difficult.
1: Yeah, so you know, when it comes to, to Pryor, I think that's something that we have to worry about, but we also just have to worry about the fact that this is his second year playing wide receiver, and he's going to be asked to do a whole lot in that offense, Um, and that that creates just general downside. Uh, So I, I, I see, you know, again, this is just like Brandon Cooks. So I, I see why he's being drafted where he is, and I've drafted plenty of Terrell Pryor at the beginning of the third round. And it's because you just hit this pit of of awfulness when you get to the late second round of fantasy drafts. Like, what are you, are you going to take Leonard Fournette and his awful offense with Blake Bortles or even Todd Gurley and his, like, or are you going to take one of these wide receivers that has immense upside, but obviously you're accounting for the floor that they also have?
0: There's a couple wide receivers in that zone that I believe Offer upside and a high ish floor, Demarius Thomas, Keenan Allen are options in that range that don't suck, that don't that aren't demoralizing options where it's not like you're drafting Devontae Adams, a bad football player in a good situation and hoping for the best. There are a few options, but you sure as hell should not be drafting running backs in those rounds. Oh my God! I would say
1: for the most part, but I think that you can make argument, like you can still make arguments for a lot of those guys. Like, like I, you know, I, I'm not, I haven't gotten a single share of Leonard Fournette this year. Um, I got my first and only share that I'm ever going to have this season of of Todd Gurley in that Roto World League in the early third round. I think you can make arguments just given the way that drafts unfold, because there is a drop at wide receiver once you hit that point, especially if you go wide receiver, wide receiver in the first two rounds. But, you know, I I think Pryor is properly valued. A lot of people just automatically yell, this guy's overrated. And they do that. They've been doing that throughout the the offseason, but they're not putting it in in context whatsoever. And I think Pryor is part of that that group where they're just assuming he's overrated. And it's like, okay, well, tell me which guys you would be drafting confidently over him that have the same kind of ceiling that he does. Because not only that, I, I think his floor is still decent. Like, his floor is still probably what DeAndre Hopkins did last year, right? And so why in God's name would you take DeAndre Hopkins over Terrell Pryor when DeAndre Hopkins' When, when, when you know that Terrell Pryor in a much better offensive situation than, than DeAndre Hopkins is in. That's that's kind of my argument for Pryor.
0: Terrell Pryor can't command the target share that DeAndre Hopkins commands, but there's a lot more targets to go around in Washington. There's a low-volume offense sure. in Houston. It's a high-volume offense in Washington. That's the difference. That's why it's very difficult to justify drafting the wide receivers tethered to the Tom Savages and the Blake Bortles. That's why when you have the option of drafting an Allen Robinson, your finger always starts to twitch. I've drafted Allen Robinson in a handful of leagues, and I had to hold my arm down. I had to hold my mouse hand down with my other hand and then slide, slowly slide the other hand to get to the mouse finger and have my left hand force my right hand to click the button to draft Allen Robinson. I mean, that's what I had to do to hit the draft player button on Allen Robinson, because you know, down deep, it's probably a bad idea. (laughs) It's just not, it's not a good idea. But there's so many external forces working in Terrell Pryor's favor in addition to exceptional size-adjusted athleticism And a guy who commanded significant targets last year in his first year playing the position full-time, it's very easy to rationalize chasing a ceiling when that ceiling is top five wide receiver in the NFL. You see so many drafting Amari Cooper with the same rationale. He looks like a great receiver on paper. We know going all the way back to college, he was a double-digit touchdown scorer as a true freshman. Think about that. In the SEC, double-digit touchdowns as a freshman. He has a 16-touchdown season on his resume at Alabama. This is not a guy that's allergic to the end zone. There's not some sort of force field. There's not some sort of electric current preventing Amari Cooper from getting in the end zone with the football. It's just random chance. That's why he hasn't been as active in the red zone and scored as many touchdowns as he did at Alabama, but yet we still haven't seen it. We haven't seen him command a greater target share than Michael Crabtree. We haven't seen him score touchdowns. Until we see it, we can't project it. So this is another player where we're not going to simply launch him into the top 10 based on a vapor projection. Not going to do it. Same exact principle applies, right? I So I think with
1: Amari Cooper, I, I mean, I have Cooper ahead of Pryor pretty significantly. I'll say that. Uh, I, in terms of the the safety that I feel in drafting Amari Cooper, last season he was wide. I understand it was a bad season for, for wide receivers, but he was still wide receiver 14 despite not scoring on any of his 13 red zone targets. Uh, he's still only 23 years old.
0: Which is crazy, by the way. That's crazy. Say that again. <laughs> Amari Cooper is only 23 years old, guys. And what was the outcome of every red zone target last season? It's not
1: good. He did not score a touchdown in the red
0: zone. That's <laughs> he- incredible.
1: Isn't that incredible? There were, there were 123 wide receiver touchdowns in the red zone last year, and Amari Cooper did not have any of them. I, uh, 123 <laughs> different wide receivers scored a <laughs> touchdown in the red zone, and that did not include Amari Cooper.
0: <laughs> I love that stat. Oh, That's why we have the number fire guy on. That was number fire. Uh, Amari Cooper
1: though like to me all that needs to happen is a cognizant conscious effort to get him the ball more in the red zone. That 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 can happen, especially as you look at age and his in his his age profile. He's again, he's only 23 years old. Um Michael Crabtree, not not the most special player in the world. And
0: he's not some sort of catch radius monster.
1: Yeah, right. That's what I mean. It's, it's not, like, you know, I, I think that the downside to this, the downside to Amari Cooper is what if he's Julio Jones without the volume? What if he, what if Amari Cooper is just for whatever reason, not ever going to be targeted in the red zone, similarly to how the Falcons and Matt Ryan have used Julio Jones. That's a downside. The reason Julio Jones is a, is a the second wide receiver off the board is because Julio Jones sees 170 targets a season.
0: 202 seasons ago. Yeah,
1: right, 202 seasons. 200. Ago. Right. So I think that you know that that could that's definitely a possibility for Amari Cooper. But I, I do think though that given the age, it's worth the risk to say all Amari Cooper needs to do is score four red zone t- touchdowns, five red zone touchdowns, and all of a sudden next season we're talking about him being a first round pick. So in, in redraft, so so that's kind of the the I the, the notion that I'm going with with Amari Cooper. I Think he has a decent floor, obviously great situation in general, amazing offensive line. I don't think Derek Carr is that great, but he's a, a very competent quarterback. Um, I, I I think that he's a, a very, very you know, in that tier, like I'm taking I'm taking Amari Cooper over Des Bryant right now. And the the reason the reason is partially because of the aforementioned schedule stuff that we talked about. Uh, but also because I see that true upside for Amari Cooper being a top three or four wide receiver this season
0: let's go let's go let's go at it come on you're not going to want to do that that's a mistake
1: i i i I love des i'm just saying you're going to regret that i'm saying the inconsistency that we've seen from des week to week is not not any different than what we see with amari cooper i understand that des has the touchdown upside amari has more volume upside in general and amari doesn't necessarily have the same especially the early season schedule i'd much rather not draft des buy him low after week four and go from there that's kind of the way that i'm approaching. Des.
0: Des Bryant has four seasons, if you include playoff games, with 10 or more touchdowns. He was hurt, but we haven't heard anything about this injury. It appears he's 100%. For the first time in three years, truly 100%. He's playing every snap of practice. He's out there in preseason. There's no soreness reported. It's all about Des Bryant this year. Why? Because the Dallas Cowboys will be facing a game script flip. I understand the schedule's harder. The schedule being more difficult is more of a problem for the running game than it is the passing game. If you have a tough schedule, well, that means if you're the Dallas Cowboys, you're in more competitive games. Well, that's good for Des Bryant, that's good for Cole Beasley, that's good for Dak Prescott. I love Dak Prescott this year and Des Bryant and Cole Beasley for the same reason. Because the game script is going to shift, they went from the easiest schedule in the NFL last season to one of the more difficult schedules in the NFL this season. They will be down in the second half a lot more. There will be a lot more pass attempts and a lot more targets. Des Bryant now has rapport with a second-year quarterback who looks like he's oh, he's he's awesome on his way to the elite echelon. One of the few truly elite quarterbacks in the NFL Dak Prescott is well on his way to getting there and when Des Bryant was tethered to another elite quarterback, an efficient quarterback in Tony Romo, he was a top five wide receiver in fantasy for three consecutive seasons because he was a red zone usage monster. And I think that is going to happen again. And I think that his usage from 2012, 2013, 2014 will resurface in 2017.
1: I don't think it's unfair. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not like saying that I'm avoiding Des Bryant. I also
0: own- a ton of Dez and, and Dynasty in general, As you so I'm, I'm hedging that way. So As you should. He's Dez Bryant. At some point, we can't overthink it. At some sure. point, we just have to try to make fantasy football easy and not yeah, try sure. to overthink every conceivable iteration of our fantasy team. Sometimes we just have to be in a fantasy draft and see Dez Bryant outside the first round and go, that's probably a good idea. It's probably I- safe. If you're outside the first round to draft Des fucking Bryant, that's probably a good idea. Oh wait, their running back is Darren McFadden and Des Bryant's 100 percent healthy and Dak Prescott, by all accounts, is awesome. Well, I think we should uh, draft Des Bryant. Oh, he's gonna face Josh Norman. Oh no, Oh no, what's he gonna do? Oh, no, what's he going to do against Josh Norman twice a year? Oh, no, no, not Josh Norman. Oh, Josh Norman's a giant, and Josh Norman's a super athlete. Josh Norman's a pterodactyl. He can bat every pass away. There's no way Des Bryant will catch any passes against Josh Norman. He might as well give up. I don't even know why Des Bryant plays on Sundays if he believes Josh Norman will be shadowing him. I mean, why even bother? Except that Des Bryant is a far superior athlete to any cornerback in the NFL. All the cornerbacks started their college careers wanting to be wide receivers. They washed out as wide receivers and they became cornerbacks. So all those side speed specimen wide receivers, Des Bryant, Julio Jones, Terrell Pryor, they don't have comparables at the cornerback position. They dominate all of them every time one-on-one. So get out of here with the wide receiver cornerback matchup problem that Des Bryant's facing this year.
1: I agree. I, look, I agree with that to, to a strong degree.
0: That wasn't directed at you. No, I know. That was directed to the nameless, faceless... Wide receiver, cornerback, zealots on Twitter.
1: I get it. And I think that we, I I think even mathematically, we overthink cornerback data because it's not as if a lot of corners are shadowing to begin with.
0: What I will say though. Yeah, 60% of the time, big deal.
1: I'm not necessarily always one that just says like, yeah, go buy this guy after this week because that's so much easier said than done in most fantasy leagues. It's not like number one. It's not like fantasy owners are are the dumbest people in the world in, in, in some aspects. And then. Some are. Some are number two. Number two, um, it's just hard to get trades done. It's not an easy thing to just say I'm going to trade for Des Bryant. But I do think we have to be cognizant, at least cognizant, of the fact that he's going to see Janoris Jenkins, Aqib Talib, Patrick Peterson, and Tremaine Johnson through the first four weeks of the season. Ouch.
0: Okay, that is bad. I mean, especially a guy like Patrick Peterson actually does have the size to match up.
1: Right. Right. With Des Bryant,
0: there are a couple occasions. Aqib Talib, top. Three cornerback on the playerprofile.com cornerback rankings. Check them out. playerprofile.com forward slash player dash rankings. There is a cornerbacks tab every year. There's Aqib Talib in the top three, so it's very difficult for Des Bryant early on, and yeah. it's going to be the best possible trading opportunity at the beginning of October.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and to, to me, to me, I, I try my best to target guys who have decent enough early season schedules. Similarly, similarly to why I like drafting a lot of Vikings because they're playing the saints week one, right? Uh,
0: uh, you, you've heard that you've, you, you've heard about the yeah, Vikings heard, playing the saints in week heard, one. You, heard you've that. heard this.
1: I've heard about that. Yes. yes. Because
0: this is the first time anyone's brought it up to me. I always have to mention this to other people. <laughs> tout Stefan Diggs for minutes. And fail to bring up the whole they play the Saints in week one thing. Same thing with Adam Sealing. I almost called him Adam Sealing. <laughs> oh, God. Right? 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 God. Apropos on multiple levels, Adam Sealing. I'll I'll edit that out, put it in the outtakes. I might leave it in. I don't know. We'll see. But no one brings it up. It's very important to win week one. Yeah. Right, it's it's very
1: important to to win early in the season. Like like fantasy football is is obviously it's a week to week game, and it's a lot easier to play when you're ahead and when you have guys who are high rather than having guys who are low. Because if if Des Bryant comes out and he doesn't put up Des Bryant numbers, which is very possible given these matchups, then there's there's it's not only does it put doubt in your mind because what if Des does not perform, but then on top of that he's not a valuable asset to have because the rest of your league mates are are also going to have doubt but they're also not going to look at the schedule and realize oh he just played four top corners uh and and therefore I'm not going to or, you know that Therefore, he's going to rebound. I don't think that's the way that most fantasy leagues think. I would much rather... Look, if you look at Amari Cooper's early season schedule, he gets Tennessee in week one. He gets the Jets in week two. He gets yeah. your boy Josh Norman in week three. <laughs> and then and then and then he gets Denver. That's going to be tough. And then he gets San Diego two weeks after that. He gets Baltimore mixed in there. Buffalo in week eight. Miami, who he's going to just torch in week nine. I, I, I think that there are reasons why you would want to focus on the early season with Amari. See kind of what happens because we know the upside is there and then kind of go from there with that being said i love both of the uh, both of them this year i have shares of, of both guys a lot of shares
0: kareem hunt's early season schedule isn't great the chiefs play new england in week one so game script won't be doing kareem hunt any favors and then it's philadelphia it's san diego and it's washington all three of those teams are sneaky good run defenders And we're not sure if the Chiefs will win any of those games. The Chiefs could start 0-4 this season. It's conceivable. And Kareem Hunt could be relegated to mostly satellite-back usage as the Chiefs try to come from behind in these games. So it's very conceivable that you don't get to see full usage Kareem Hunt early in the season. So you might want to trade for Kareem Hunt early in the season. It's also not always a great idea to just draft the guy because opportunity opens up. I'd rather opportunity open up for a player I like. For a player that we know has, in the case of a running back, an all-purpose skill set. And I question whether Kareem Hunt has an all-purpose skill set. I think he's a great satellite back, 40 receptions at Toledo. But he wasn't the dominant runner at a small school that you would have liked. And then it was explained when he went to the NFL scouting combine, and he just, just wasn't that fast. And he's certainly not that agile, but he has a little bit of burst. The thing you could say about Kareem Hunt is he has above-average burst. And then it's below average across the board elsewhere. So I'm not drafting Kareem Hunt aggressively because I would like the players that are on my team in the early rounds to have what I consider, quote unquote, talent and not just blindly chasing opportunity. Because some person somewhere in fantasy football rostered Jesse James thinking, oh, Jesse James, he's the guy. He's the main guy with the Steelers. Jesse James is the starter. I want the starter. Well, Jesse James isn't very good. Jesse James wasn't very productive. He's not a great athlete. That's not matter. He's a starter for the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, until he's not. And the Pittsburgh Steelers breaking news just traded for vance mcdonald so it's wheels up for vance mcdonald before we talk about vance mcdonald are you one of those guys aggressively pursuing kareem hunt
1: i'll say this i think kareem hunt's gonna end up as the best rookie running back in fantasy football this year i mean that because again this is a range of outcomes thing obviously i don't think he has necessarily has the highest ceiling it's the low it's a pretty low bar Uh, Right. So, so if you look at, you know, what do you want out of your running back? I I wrote about this, but I'll just reiterate some of it.
0: It's almost like I've heard your podcast and I've read your articles and I'm starting to ask you questions that align with your work. It's almost like that's what's happening on this podcast. It's weird.
1: Isn't that weird? Almost. It's almost like you did some research. Yeah, weird. But if you if you if what do you want out of the potential of your running back? You want no competition. You want early down work. You want goal line work. You want passing down work, and you want them to be in good offenses, right? If you look at the landscape among rookie running backs, check check okay? check.
0: Except uh, Kareem Hunt's not in a good offense.
1: Right. Uh, they'll they'll be probably slightly below average offensively, right? And that that's where they've ranked with Andy Reid as head coach over the last five or four years he's been there.
0: And now they have no receivers and they have no quarterback.
1: Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. So if you look at you look at Dalvin Cook though, Dalvin Cook's competition, whether we whether we look, Latavius Murray is there, he could see goal line work in that offense.
0: No one's excited about Dalvin Cook behind the Vikings offensive line running a 7273 cone. No one yeah. should be excited about Dalvin Cook. He's the starter. He has an all-purpose skill set. But he's not an explosive talent, so we're not excited about him. You could argue Leonard Fournette's more talented, but he's in a much worse situation. He's in the worst possible situation behind an offensive line that doesn't even have a left tackle. So you don't like Leonard Fournette. You start to go down the list of rookie running backs. It's difficult to build a case for any of them. I would draft Joe Mixon over Kareem Hunt because Joe Mixon has that je ne sais quoi that you love in a running back that also happens to have all the measurables the size the speed the pass catching ability we're just not sure what his opportunity is going to look like in week one on Cincinnati so I can tell you in our week one rankings Kareem Hunt will be higher than Joe Mixon he'll be higher than Leonard Fournette he'll be higher than Dalvin Cook well not Dalvin Cook yeah, he's he is Saints, the Saints, Saints, but, Saints.
1: Like, but the thing with with Joe Mixon, look, I, I get it all from a dynasty perspective. Kareem Hunt should not be ranked over any of these guys from a dynasty perspective. But when I, I, I'm not a big Fournette guy, but
0: regardless, who is the big Fournette guy? I don't. Who the heck is? Who, who is everyone the, that comes on this show? Make sure they preface any analysis of rookie running backs. They start with, I'm not a big Leonard Fournette guy. That's always the caveat. So I'm wondering who this person is. Because someone's out here drafting Leonard Fournette with the number one overall pick in Dynasty rookie drafts. Someone's doing that.
1: My 68-year-old father drafted Leonard Fournette the other day, he told me, and I, I yelled at him for not drafting Kareem Hunt if he was going to go the rookie running back route. But look, here, here's here's the thing with Kareem Hunt, okay? Number one, we're going to be wrong with our evaluation, okay? Like, that's going to happen, and it's going to happen a decent bit with the running back position, okay? I agree that he's not the most explosive guy. I mean, you can watch him and see that he's not the most explosive guy. He has no kind... Co- People, I had people in my mentions actually mention that C.J. Spiller was some sort of threat to Kareem Hunt. C.J. Spiller is a corpse of himself right now. Wait, what? Yeah, no, it, it, that happened in my mentions.
0: But Was Sharkhandrick West next?
1: Right. Shark Week. If you look at Andy Reid and his running back usage and the way that he's used running backs in in the Chiefs' uh, offense since he got there, throw out the Jamal Charles years. Like I, I hate looking at coordinator and play calling data when there are Hall of Fame talents that are skewing the
0: data, like LaShawn McCoy and Jamal Charles.
1: Yeah, right. I mean, like what's what's that going to do? What? But but with that being said, what we saw. You know the
0: best example of this, right? North Turner, Emmitt Smith. Ladanian Tomlinson and then Adrian Peterson.
1: Right. And so, but, but what we saw with the way that they handled Spencer Ware, I think is the perfect reason why we should buy into Kareem Hunt and why I'm not that scared that they're going to sign, I don't know, Ryan Matthews off the street or D'Angelo, whoever people are afraid of off the street. Ryan
0: Matthews is on the street. Oh, he's out there. Oh, that's a threat. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Hell,
1: yeah. So if you look at what Andy Reid's done, every single guy since he's gotten to Kansas City, so that includes Chuck Hendrick West and Spencer Ware, who's seen the most, the highest market share, rushing market share in in that backfield has seen at least a 7.19% target market share in that backfield. That is, those are top 25 numbers as receivers. And then that's a guy in Charkhandrick West that I'm talking about. And then you're taking Spencer Ware, who has been a committee back throughout his entire, uh, dating back to Pee Wee, Right. He was
0: not a full-time starter in college.
1: Right. He was behind Jeremy Hill as his final season. And so they're showing you that they're fine with with giving guys a big... I mean, Spencer Ware is pacing towards a 60% market share last season. I know how much you hate the term market share. That's why I'm trying to say it as much as I can.
0: I'm just letting it go. Just. We have so much to talk about and so many other areas where we can disagree. (laughs) I'm not going to jam you about market share just because you think you're an investment banker playing fantasy football.
1: But look, look, all of this, all of this just plays.
0: As I was saying, I'm not going to jam you. I jammed you.
1: Yes. Kareem Hunt, Kareem Hunt has the highest. Fl- opportunity matters so much at the running back position, especially from a redraft perspective, that you can't ignore what's going on in Kansas City. And immediately after Spencer Ware's injury happened, reports come out that say Kareem Hunt is going to be the featured back in our offense. They don't just say those things just to say those Oh, things. they
0: admitted it. That's all I needed. I don't right. care what beat reporter X in Kansas City thinks if the coach says it publicly and gives away their game plan to Opposing defensive coordinators, if if they want to be that out in the open with it, well, I'm going to write that down and make sure that that makes its way into my projections in a major way because you're right. Spencer Ware, 42 targets last season, and he's not a pass catcher. Spencer Ware is not good. This is not a guy with a satellite back skill set. He's not good in space. Kareem Hunt is. Kareem Hunt was a target vacuum at... Toledo, and I think he will be for the rest of his career, even if Kansas City goes out and drafts mm. a true bell cow back in what will be an exceptional RB draft class next season. That very well could happen. That's why we're not that excited about him in Dynasty. But for this year, he will get at least 60 targets. You can write that down. Do you have a pen? Does anyone have a pencil out there? Write down 60 targets because we also talked to Warren Sharp from Sharp Football. And he talked about how the Kansas City Chiefs are the anti-Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota Vikings go from difficult schedule to easy schedule. Chiefs go from easy schedule to difficult schedule this season and... That means more come from behind, more Kareem Hunt in the passing game. So you could see him driving up close to 75 targets. Why not? I don't know what his target upside is. It's a lot. It's a lot of targets man, and we don't know what he is talent-wise. Just because he wasn't super productive and he's not a great athlete, he could still be Devontae Freeman. He could be this under-the-radar running back savant that we just don't know about. There's a lot of uncertainty around him. What we know for a redraft is the opportunity is there. You just can't go up and draft him in the second round Correct over established, running backs that we know are going to command a giant opportunity share you cannot talk yourself into kareem hunt over demarco murray right and that's where i draw the line but if you're a person that drafts running backs in rounds three four five and demarco murray's off the board at that point I have no problem pushing the button on a Kareem Hunt knowing that his usage in the passing game will be right up there with Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey. I mean, it's going to happen because he's going to be on the field a lot more than those guys. So just write down Kareem Hunt. Lots of opportunity. I don't know why I said that. Anything was going to be good there. Write down. I had it all set up. <laughs> you could have said so many better things. I had it all set up, and I just blew it. I had nothing. I wanted to say something that just would ring true, You know, at a turn of a phrase, you know, do my thing, and I set it all up, and I said, Write down an opportunity. I had... Uh, <laughs> The other thing, the other thing I want to
1: add is that it's not as if Kareem Hunt wasn't able to carry a, a decent workload in college either.
0: He did. That's the thing we love. He has he's right at the threshold, two hundred and sixteen right. pounds, and he was a workhorse at Toledo. Even if he right. wasn't that productive, so what? Right. He was a workhorse. He, he can do it. He's going to get touches. He is superior in every way to Sharkandrick West, and Sharkandrick West was winning people a lot of money on DraftKings and FanDuel two years ago. Remember that? Remember that? I remember that. I just talked myself into Kareem Hunt. I started this conversation mocking Kareem Hunt because he doesn't have a great profile on playerprofiler.com that his talent profile just isn't exceptional. I wanted so badly to mock him for that now I'm drafting him. I can't wait to get him. Mario. I'm like, get this guy, right?
1: I mean, If we're looking at real, realistic projections, like I said, there's downside for every other rookie back. And that's generally who you're drafting around that area. You can make a case for like Isaiah Crowell, just given the Kaiser move and the offensive line there and, and whatnot. But, uh, you know, Crowell also doesn't necessarily have as much touchdown upside. Uh, I I think Kareem Hunt should very easily from a projection standpoint, rank in people's top 12 right now.
0: Yeah, we have him ahead of Isaiah Crowell. Oh, well, we have him ahead of Tevin Coleman, sadly. And as I mentioned before, we have him ahead of Christian McCaffrey because you just have to. Yeah, because he will get significantly more carries. He's going to get goal line work. And those are opportunities that will not be given to Christian McCaffrey in year one because Jonathan Stewart is there. So you cannot draft Christian McCaffrey ahead of Kareem Hunt. It starts to get interesting once you get to guys that will have an opportunity share that meets or exceeds Kareem Hunt's. So when you get to Leonard Fournette, when you get to Todd Gurley, when you get to Dalvin Cook, yeah. that's the friction point. But in redraft, you at least have to get to the running back that has equivalent opportunity before you start looking at efficiency and these other external forces to make your final decision. We know Jordan Howard is going to get plenty of opportunity this year, just like he did last year. But all the external forces are working against him. If you had to pick one player in all of fantasy football where every external force is working against him, it's Jordan Howard. And yet Jordan Howard continues to be a late first round pick. And I don't understand that. Do you understand it? No,
1: not at all. I I own zero Jordan Howard this season in my redraft leagues. Uh, The the Cam Meredith injury to me is is just, just nail in the coffin.
0: Oh, it's bad for him. It's absolutely bad for Jordan Howard because they need to matriculate the ball downfield to get into the red zone and score touchdowns. And Cameron Meredith's injury diminishes that possibility.
1: And, and, you know, the offensive line in Chicago is probably the only plus for Jordan Howard. Not a bad line there. Uh, But, look, you want to associate your running backs in offenses that are going to score touchdowns and offenses that have good quarterback play. And the Bears literally have zero of those things. And and even more so now with Cam Meredith's injury. You have a dad running Kevin White on that team uh, that's going to be the number one receiver at this point. You know, I. I, I just don't understand how this is an offense in, in, in the NFL. I mean, it's not Jets Jets bad, but Jordan Howard, not a bad running back at all. His efficiency was matched by, by his success rate, which is a metric we use at number fire, just the percentage of positive expected points run. So you can get more of a binary look at how these guys are running. That's a big reason why Todd Gurley... Going into last season, I was really, really off because off of him because his success rate was really low. His efficiency was really high, basically saying it's unsustainable production. Jordan Howard last season had very, very high efficiency, but also a very, very high success rate. He was he was that good. But now this is this is what I basically see happening. Is so was Jeremy Hill his rookie year. I I, I can see a, a very very similar situation in terms of production happening, but not as much of a touchdown upside as what we saw with Jeremy Hill happening to Jordan Howard this year. That's just that's a fantasy disaster to me. I I, I at this point you got to take a guy like Todd Gurley over Jordan Howard. I think just because there's there's that potential. You know I'm not a big Jared Goff guy, uh, but they have a better offensive line. They got our boy Cooper Cup. <laughs> Uh, they obviously, you know, they have, they have Sammy stretching the field now, but but I I do think that you should feel more confident at this point drafting Todd Gurley than you should drafting Jordan Howard.
0: So true. I can't think of a positive in Jordan Howard's favor. Even the offensive line has been diminished because their road grading guard signed with the Cleveland Browns. So it's not even like they're retaining the offensive line for him. Nothing, not one thing is as good as it was last year for him. And he was not a dominant college runner. Look at his comps on playerprofiler.com. They look a lot like Carlos Hyde and Isaiah Crowell. These are between-the-tackles grinders. These are not all-purpose bell cow backs. He was a workhorse out of necessity last year, but he is not competent in the passing game. On 50 targets, only caught 29 receptions. Yeah. 58% catch rate for a running back, a 58% catch rate for a running back. When we have running backs catching 90% of their passes. Yeah. That was 66th in the league. Yeah. That's scary. There are some scary metrics on the Jordan Howard profile. If you care to dig a little deeper,
1: that's the thing too. This, this Tariq Cohen hype that's going on right now. It's real. It's far less, though, about Tariq Cohen himself as a fantasy asset and a lot more as to what he does to Jordan Howard's potential. Because if Jordan Howard is not on the field or doesn't see as many targets or is not the pass catching back in that offense, and we know that he's not going to see a lot of touchdowns, what the hell is Jordan Howard's upside?
0: Okay, third and five on your opponent's 25-yard line. Last year, Jordan Howard's in the game. They call a draw play. Jordan Howard breaks a tackle, scores a touchdown. This year, Tariq Cohen's in the game. They call a pass. He flares out, catches a six-yard screen, moves the chains. That's a touchdown you have to subtract from Jordan Howard's statistics. It's the hidden cost. It's the hidden cost of lost touches in all game situations. That's why even a player that Jordan Howard's not compatible with in any way is a threat. Because any opportunity, any snap you take away is a potential touchdown you're taking away. Now, every snap has been taken away from Jesse James. jesse god why do i do this to people he's just a football player trying to carve out a career and make money and support his family and make his parents proud and what do we do we go on this podcast and we laugh in his face when the pittsburgh steelers sign vance mcdonald
1: Dude, you know those, when you go to a a car dealership and they have those stupid things with the air coming up, those like guys that are moving back and forth, you know, (laughs) that's Jesse James. That's literally Jesse James. Those, I expect player profilers, number one comp of Jesse James, to be one of those guys, one of those like plastic like garbage bag things that are flailing back and forth with this air shooting up. That If you watch Jesse James, that's what he does. That's what he looks like when he plays. He's just this behemoth who's terrible at football, and he's just flailing around.
0: He's flailing. He's a used car flailer. I don't know what that is either. But it's just this flailing thing that just flails around. And that was what Jesse James was, but he was going to get 70 targets. (laughs) (laughs) Flailing around out there. Who knows how many he would have actually caught. Doesn't matter. Vance McDonald is in town. I like Vance McDonald. I'm not shy about liking Vance McDonald when no one else Liked Vance McDonald. Now, I will apologize to Jesse James and his family for mocking him at his lowest moment, but I'll never apologize for my love for Vance McDonald. Vance McDonald's family knows me. They reached out and said, we we appreciate your support through all this animosity that Vance is experiencing in San Francisco. And I said, it's mrs mcdonald it's my pleasure he's a fantastic football player look at the college dominator on playerprofiler.com mrs mcdonald and she said what the hell is playerprofiler.com and i said i gotta go i gotta go i gotta go 26.6 percent is 80th percentile so he was a mega producer at rice small school he was a focal point of the offense he was a slot receiver at rice but he was also 600 pounds He's not 600. He's 265 pounds, but that's big. It's, not six, it's big. It's, he's big. He's a big guy, and he's explosive. If you run a 469 at 265 pounds, that's a 109.8 speed score. That's 83rd percentile. Across the board, he's athletic. Look at the Spark X score, 129.6, 94th percentile. So this is a monster who's coming at you like a freight train with four, six, nine wheels. He's not easy to tackle. That's why he was one of the league leaders in yards after the catch per target. Who were the leaders in yards after the catch per target last year? It was Kelsey. It was Gronk. It was Martellus Bennett and Vance fucking McDonald. That's who it was. That was the class of tight end that Vance McDonald belonged in last year. You might say, well, he dropped a lot of passes. Well, he didn't catch many passes, only caught 24 passes. Did you see the offense that Vance McDonald was operating in last year? Please, please don't talk to me about his production in San Francisco. A wasteland for fantasy points. All he did was persevere. I give him credit for persevering, which is all you want tight ends to do. And then once they reach age 26, 27, they often ascend. That's what Martellus Bennett did. It took Martellus Bennett two teams to reach his potential. He went from Dallas to New York. Finally, in Chicago, he reached his full potential. And I think that's what was necessary for Vance McDonald to reach his full potential. He needed to go to a different team, a team that appreciated him, a team that was willing to absorb his contract. One of the highest paid tight ends in the league. Why did Pittsburgh opt to trade for Vance McDonald and that contract. They didn't view it as an albatross contract. They wanted the player with the exceptional size-adjusted athleticism that was also efficient, plus 17.6 production premium, which is Vance McDonald's per-target production above expectation on playerprofiler.com. And also... We look at target premium. Remember Kenny Britt? He switched teams. And we said, look at the target premium, because that looks at your per-target output against the other receivers in the passing game. So comparing Kenny Britt to the other receivers in the Rams passing game last year, his target premium was number two in the NFL. And then when he switches teams, potentially improving his situation, you realize, oh, wow, we have efficiency meeting opportunity in Cleveland for Kenny Britt. He's a buy. Well, this is what we have now with Vance McDonald. We have efficiency in a bad situation meeting opportunity in Pittsburgh. Now Vance McDonald's a buy. Now he's a guy you can absolutely draft in the last round of a seasonal league where you've punted tight end. He's that guy now.
1: The other, thing, the other thing with Vance McDonald is that the Steelers have nothing in the slot. They have, they have Eli Rogers. They're grooming Juju to be a slot receiver. They want Juju to be Heinz Ward, is is essentially what they want Juju to be. Which which is I can see the comp. He's a good blocker. He's, a, he's
0: more of that physical guy. But they have they have no slot presence. No established guy. Eli Rogers was fine in the slot. He has a great slot profile, but they don't have this established slot guy that they know they're going to. On short, down, and distance situations,
1: and they clearly they they've shown, uh, with their specifically with their move with the Ladarius Green, they've wanted to have some sort of physical tight end presence in this offense. And when Ladarius Green was healthy, he dominated. Do you remember that game against the Giants? He
0: was he was dominant with Ben Roethlisberger. What a shame what happened to Ladarius Green. He is an explosive athlete who was converting great size adjusted athleticism into on field production, and then it was just. <laughs> Taken yeah, away, I mean, vaporized by a concussion. I hope that doesn't happen to Vance McDonald because I see some big games in his future yeah. in history. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Rapid fire. Here we go. Pick one. Here we go. Here we go. This is all your takes coming back to haunt you now in rapid fire. Marlon Mack or Robert Turbin? Marlon Mack. Yay! woo We did it! We did it! We changed minds. Hearts and minds being changed from playerprofiler.com and Roto Underworld Radio.
1: The the reason I'm more into Mack than Turban or uh, value wise than Frank Gore too, because I look a month ago, I thought Frank Gore was the most undervalued player in fantasy football. But when you lose offensive linemen, you lose Andrew Luck, you lose all of these assets, it's just it's not worth it, right? It's just it, I, I I get he has a somewhat of a floor, but that floor is almost diminishing. And and that's really why you were getting Frank Gore. But but with Marlon Mack, I can at least envision the upside of negative scripts and him being on the field a good bit uh, and playing that scat back role, which I think that's how he profiles mostly. But at the same time, uh, you know, Chuck Pagano came out and said that he reminded
0: him of Jamal Charles, which is absolutely insane. <laughs> but, Chuck Pagano is a ridiculous person. He is. He is, he is just a ridiculous person.
1: But uh, I do think that he fits what this offense is will be which is a dumpster fire not because he's a dumpster fire of a player but because he could play that 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 passing down back role and then that could that could formulate into um more of an early down back role so i i've taken dart throws with with marlon mack i own him in a decent amount actually a lot of leagues um i just think he has he has
0: more genuine upside at this point than the other backs in that backfield he has a lot of upside you talked about the steelers not having an established slot receiver who's the established slot receiver in indianapolis again Yeah, they don't have one. It's Kamar Aiken, it's Philip Dorsett. They don't have a third receiver. And Marlon Mack can operate as that third receiver in that passing game. You can see them lining up with two running back sets and then motioning Marlon Mack out and running a route. That's how Marlon Mack is going to score fantasy points early on. And if something happens to Frank Gore, or they decide to relegate him, or if he's just so inefficient and they start trying to win games... Because that's what Chuck Pagano does. He just wants to win games. Just keep on grinding. You know, we just gotta keep on grinding out there. Just gotta keep. We just gotta. We just gotta keep grinding out there. You know, we got we got we got guys that just they keep grinding and they they keep working. And if we keep grinding and we keep working, well, we're gonna play football. And if you play football and, and if you keep grinding and and you keep working, well, then you're gonna have football. And that that's really what we're all about as as an organization. That wasn't bad, right? That was good. That was pretty good. I mean, I feel like so. if Chuck Pagano was not a football. coach, coach he'd be coaching football yes next rapid fire question zay jones or jordan matthews don't do it don't do it No,
1: i think this is a really good question but it's it's jordan matthews but but let me let me i i think what buffalo is doing it's very very obvious i i don't like either of them from a fantasy perspective this this season tough situation the the reason the reason being it's very 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 clear that they want to run the traditional denison offense the, the West Coast style timing patterns, quarterback rhythm type offense, shorter throws, uh, and that fits jordan matthews and honestly you know the last time i was on here i talked about how i liked zay jones a lot more than you liked zay jones
0: right right this was a setup question yeah but really and you've again you've answered correctly you're just a ninja on, with these answers you're very good at being correct i mean you must have he, did you get straight a's in college i did well in college but th- here's the thing He's a 4-0 student right here you're a 4 student at roto underworld university
1: Zay Jones, though, the biggest question mark that you had, that others had around Zay Jones, why the hell was he so inefficient? At at ECU, he was so inefficient. And a lot of that had to do with where he was being targeted and how they were using him. Well, they're going to do the same things in Buffalo, given this offense. He he can stretch the field, I think, just because he has decent speed. He's, he's He has that ability. But the reason they drafted Zay Jones is because they want to run this West Coast system. And I do think that him and J-Matt actually fit that mold pretty well. I wish they had one guy. just a. I mean, I wish they still had Marquise Goodwin. Like, just a guy who yes. can just get down the field yes. and just stretch it a little
0: bit, you know? It's a great point. I lo- Buffalo loves to lose ancillary pieces that are valuable for no fucking reason.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish that they still had that piece, but I do think that both like there's a reason they got rid of Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins can work in any system because he's good at football, but Sammy Watkins will thrive a lot more in the system that they had as opposed to a, a West Coast system. And that's the difference with, with, with what I was saying. I, I went on Buffalo radio and had to talk about this, which was not great because oh, really people in Buffalo really, really like
0: their their football and their are in their in their team. And they like
1: most fans. Did you compare
0: uh, Sammy Watkins to John Taylor? I, no, I did not I would have done that. I would have said that Sammy Watkins can never be a Jerry Rice, but he can be a John Taylor. just like Jordan Matthews is Jerry Rice. to Zay Jones, John Taylor. That would get the local that would radio audience excited. I know my audience. I know how to I know how to I know how to pander to a local radio audience. I the- somehow some way touted every member of the Philadelphia Eagles on local Eagles radio recently. I loved it, and I didn't care. I felt no shame whatsoever doing it. See, I did the opposite.
1: Ooh. Mm. I think the problem is that people, you know, whenever you say things like, Sammy doesn't fit in this offense, and people are like, well, Sammy fits in every offense. It should be inferred that I'm talking about thriving in an offense. Like, it's not his perfect fit. Just like, Tyrod Taylor might be okay this season. I don't think he will be, but he might be okay this season because Tyrod Taylor is an okay quarterback. But that doesn't mean that this is the right system for Tyrod Taylor to function in. And so I think that them trading Sammy Watkins, you know, looking back and looking at their draft pick with Zay Jones, it all makes sense. That they do not care at all about Tyrod Taylor in Buffalo. That 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 new coaching, that 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 new staff, the way that they're implementing this offense, they don't care. And Nate Peterman held a pit, by the way.
0: They want Peterman, man. They want fucking Peterman.
1: Yes, he fits the system way way better than Tyrod. Tyrod's done after the season. Um and it's a shame because I think that that how he was functioning before this, the offense wasn't the problem in Buffalo. The, the the problem in Buffalo was the defense. That's why they really couldn't take that step. Now now the problem is literally everything. That whole team is a dumpster fire.
0: Before this show is published, probably tomorrow, I am going to trade Tyrod Taylor and Dynasty. <laughs> <laughs> you should And I know that whoever I'm trading with listens to this show. And you're getting this news after you've just traded for Tyrod Taylor. And you just have to eat it.
1: It could be messy. It could be really, really messy in Buffalo.
0: Speaking of messy, we talked about the Chicago Bears. It doesn't get any messier than that situation. So, not Kevin White. The contrived dichotomy slash... Way too much machine gun rapid fire segment. Pick one. Cole Beasley or Kevin White?
1: The answer is never Kevin White.
0: Yes, that is the answer. (laughs) (laughs) My Twitter location is Kevin White Opposite World.
1: It's never look like you could you could feel one way about him as a prospect entering the league, whatever. But at this point, it's over. It's over all these over. things that are going. It's, it's not worth it. Like, what do you what do you think is going to happen? The guy the guy not only has issues with with looking like an NFL player on the field, but he has issues between the years. That's that's a that's a big, big problem. Terrible offense, like we talked about before. I, I don't care if there's the potential that he gets fed volume um it, it it doesn't matter. Cool and Cole Beasley I'm actually kind of intrigued by, especially in the early season, uh, with those cornerback matchups with Des. And then on top of that, no Zeke. Thank you. I think that there Thank you. I think that there's a lot of potential for Cole Beasley, especially early in the season. You know, it's not a guy that I'm gonna like feel super confident in.
0: No, no, you would never love Cole Beasley. No one's ever allowed to love Cole Beasley. Yeah, right. You can never fall head over heels for Cole Beasley. You can never allow yourself To fall in love with Cole Beasley because you always feel like you could do better. Everyone always feels like they can do better than Cole Beasley because he's just not the one. He's good. He's just not the one. You always feel like you can do better than Cole Beasley. But let me tell you something. In the later rounds, double digits, no one in fantasy football can do better than Cole Beasley this season. It's
1: bold. It's bold. I think that it depends on what you're, you know, it, it, those kind of picks. It depends on what you're trying to get. If you're trying to get usefulness, obvious usefulness out of a player late, Cole Beasley's your pick. If you're striving strictly for the next Josh Gordon or, or you know, someone who's going to to break out and be nuts, obviously Cole Beasley's not your guy. It's all about team construction.
0: We talked about this with Terrell Pryor. If you're going zero RB and you already have a couple elite receivers locked in. And you plan to draft a couple more receivers. You can afford to chase more upside than the next guy in the form of Terrell Pryor. If you're already five deep with great receivers, it doesn't make as much sense to draft Cole Beasley. But if you drafted running backs in those early rounds, then that's the perfect pick for you in... The double digit rounds, Cole motherfucking Beasley, lock it in. I mean, no one has a higher floor in the later rounds than Cole Beasley. No one, no one, no one. But like in this Roto World draft, I didn't draft Cole Beasley because I started very wide receiver heavy and I'll be drafting Devin Funchess, who has a higher ceiling than Cole Beasley, but a much lower floor. And that O. Okay. Okay. Also with Kevin White, you knew that he wasn't going to ascend, that he was going to be a bust on draft day because you could see him up at the podium shaking hands with Roger Goodell holding up that Bears jersey. There are pictures online of Kevin White holding up the Bears jersey, and he has this look on his face like, "Uh uh-oh. Uh oh. That's how that's how you do your player evaluation, right? Yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly right. I just I go I test not on the field, right on the podium. I test at the podium. I test on the stage at the NFL draft. That's when I make my snap judgments, my final decisions about players. No, absolutely, you're you, you're dead on there. A, a, a completely <laughs> analytical process that I follow, especially with Kevin White. No doubt, no doubt. But you could see he just had this look like I'm out of my depth. I hope the Bears know what they're doing. Anytime a player has that look on his face, like, I hope this team that drafted me (laughs) knows what they're doing, it's not a good sign. And every time you've ever seen Kevin White on a football field, practice during games, he has no swagger. Complete zero in the swagger factor department. All Amari Cooper does is exude greatness. He swaggers onto the field. He swaggers off the field. You know he's great. Kevin White is the opposite of Amari Cooper. No swagger factor. We can never forget that Sports Illustrated ranked Kevin White ahead of Amari Cooper before the 2015 draft. No one is safe. No one is safe from my criticism. Not even Sports fucking Illustrated. I remember. I remember everything. You can't hide from me, Sports Illustrated. You can't hide from me, ESPN. No one is safe. Sorry, go ahead. You're nuts. I have nothing more to say about Kevin White. No one does. No. Pick two of these three: Eric Decker, Rashard Matthews, Corey Davis.
1: I think Decker's the easy, easy one to pick. Um, I, I think that you can make arguments for Corey Davis over Rashard Matthews simply because uh, we don't know, you know, he could, he could be a monster. And if he's a monster, then, then great. I think the bottom line though, with Tennessee wideouts, I've kind of avoided them uh, mostly because I, I don't think any of them hit hundred targets this season. I think it's just going to be, you know, we, we know they're going to be run first. We know they're going to spread it out a bit. It, one guy could emerge, um, but overall I've just kind of avoided. I think that Decker's the guy though, that you would want because, he has the most touchdown upside by far. We know that he's an elite touchdown scorer, um, but in general, you know, my 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 model doesn't have a single guy over 100 targets right now, and that's just not. What I'm trying to, you know, if I can get Ted Ginn in the late single digits, you know, in, those are more an expert draft, but in the double digit rounds who has a profile to or a projection that's going to be close to 100 targets in a Drew Brees offense, I'm going to just take that all day as opposed to a very, very conservative offense that wants to run the football with their two headed monster, um, a very efficient passer. I love Marcus Mariota, but I, I don't I don't think that Tennessee pass catchers are really the direction that that folks should confidently going
0: well that's why they're all available later i mean no one's drafting them early and in expert drafts after ted ginn is off the board i'm happy to draft an eric decker absolutely
1: I, i mean i got i got Corey davis in the uh in the roto world one that we're doing right now
0: because that offense could be very good could be yeah. it's different if it's run only and they're just grinding it out and they're not scoring a lot of points but if the run game is efficient and the passing game is efficient that means they actually end up scoring a lot of points that means they end up being in the red zone quite frequently and then the titans are a playoff team and eric decker is a double digit touchdown scorer that's the thesis behind drafting and Eric Decker and you draft Rashad Matthews because he could also be that guy if something happens to Decker or Decker's not the same athlete that he was a couple years ago he's getting older and Rashard Matthews has been one of the most efficient wide receivers the last two seasons so I can see drafting both of those guys knowing one of the guys could easily get to 10 touchdowns and I'm not drafting Corey Davis he hasn't played Sure, sure. Who was the last rookie wide receiver that didn't play in the preseason that had nil training camp reps with his quarterback to just be airdropped onto the field in the regular season and be a fantasy producer? Was it Odell Beckham? We have to go back to Odell Beckham. Literally the best wide receiver through the first three years of a career we've ever seen. We have to go back to that guy to find a comp To rationalize away the situation that Corey Davis finds himself in with A, ankle surgery, and then B, hamstring strain. I mean, this is how lost seasons happen. Lost seasons happen because a player gets surgery on a foot or an ankle, which is not the body part you want worked on, and then strains another muscle soon after He's cleared to play because he's compensating. And then all of a sudden, he has no practice reps with the quarterback. All of a sudden, he falls down the depth chart. He's watching Taewon Taylor make play after play throughout preseason. And it's a lost season. And that's just how lost seasons happen. So don't be surprised when Corey Davis experiences a lost season because he's not Odell Beckham Jr. I love Corey Davis. I want Corey Davis to have a lost season because he'll be a screaming buy for me in Dynasty. I'm all about the Corey Davis lost season for a lot of reasons. And I'll be happily buying him next year because he's phenomenal. But I'm not drafting him in redraft this year before round 10. I mean, just get out of here.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. It's it, To be fair, I just want to be clear that that Corey Davis pick that I made in the Roto World, the the league that we're doing, is my very first share uh, of, of this. In the double-digit rounds.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of an expert league where all the wide receivers have been drafted and no one's drafting quarterbacks. It's a completely different scenario. It's not real life. I'm all about taking a flyer on a guy in the double-digit rounds in an expert league with that profile. I mean, anything can happen with a guy who's drafted in the first five picks with one of the best college profiles we've seen in years. I love Corey Davis just don't draft him when there are legitimate producers on the board like an Eric Decker. Yeah, agreed. But we saw Christopher Harris do that in the apex draft that we both participated in. What did you think of Christopher Harris's team that apex league?
1: I thought he got a little screwed, especially because, uh, you know, I think that it's a situation where I'm not sure how many drafts he's done with a lot of us. So we obviously go wide receiver heavy. And I think he got caught a little bit doing that. And then it really sucked that he tried to get cheap volume late with Quincy Anunua, which I don't, think was a terrible pick just because you can get that cheap volume and given his scenario that's kind of what he had to do and then Quincy Anunua is out for the season with that that neck injury right after he picked him so I feel for him I feel for him it's 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 a very difficult situation to be in
0: as someone who's been cursed all preseason with injuries to the players I've touted I don't feel for Christopher Harris at all Zeppelin exploding in the sky just watch it burn all right Ty Montgomery he was hurt now he's back thankfully our prayers were at least answered With Ty Montgomery I'm surprised he didn't lose a leg after I touted him so heavily but he's he's alive and he's playing football and that's great what's his upside in the Packers offense
1: I don't see how it's not top ten at, at the running back position. Um, last season, in games where he played forty percent or more of the team snaps, he averaged top ten PPR production on a per game basis. Um, I'm not really worried about Jamal Williams at all. He he wasn't even the, Jamal Williams wasn't even the running back that I was. I was more worried about Aaron Jones from a from just a, a prospecting standpoint in that backfield. Uh, but Jamal Williams hasn't really looked that impressive. He, he's to me he's kind of a jag. Um, and then, you know, obviously Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones is very, very raw, which is it's not surprising why he wouldn't, he wouldn't do much, uh, in the,
0: in this first, uh, training camp, but better player than Jamal Williams in the long run
1: yeah I think so too and, and he you know I think that at least from the way that we approach fantasy and we look at fantasy football you know you obviously you want guys who can get on the field and passing downs who then maybe can have that early down workload potential and Aaron Jones was a very very good pass catching back in college um and that that's that's a huge huge plus whenever you're transitioning to the NFL that's a big reason why I wasn't into Jamal Williams because he didn't see that big of a market share as a receiver um and, and Jamal Williams just didn't
0: blow me away
1: from from an early down
0: perspective either
1: so I think Ty Montgomery is going to be the guy and he... It-
0: he is a guy... Ty Montgomery is much more.
1: Yeah, and Ty Montgomery is just as big. I mean, people think that it's that it's a, it's a scenario where they, they drafted this early Dom Bruiser and Jamal Williams, and it's <laughs> Ty Montgomery is just as big, guys. He's just as big of a player. Um so and, and the other thing with Ty Mont, we know he's gonna be pretty efficient. So he doesn't need a crazy rushing market share. I'm just I'm throwing market share
0: out there again. Just I, I sp- know this. I know this. I'm getting agitated slightly, mildly agitated. <laughs>
1: He doesn't need a crazy rushing market share to
0: produce in that offense. Uh, I I think he's a
1: very, very obvious third round pick at this point. Um and 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 if he can fall to the fourth.
0: Yeah, yes. Yeah. Aggressively target him in the third because the wide receiver options aren't great. Yeah. In the fourth round, slam dunk. Windmill slam. 360 windmill slam. Are you drafting any jets this season?
1: I think so I I have a couple below pal shares,
0: and the only reason is is all
1: yeah share I did shares on purpose. i know
0: I know i'm starting to understand what's happening to me right now i'm being punked and it's it's good it's retribution i deserve it
1: uh I do have a couple uh, below pal shares, and i'm i look i'm not that afraid to just say that uh because I do think that there's a lot of upside in not upside there's a lot of floor. <laughs> In having a player in that offense in such negative game scripts, who's probably going to see a good bit of volume through the air. Oh, yeah. So it's 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 strictly a PPR play, too, for the record.
0: But yeah, no one should be drafting Jets in standard leagues unless you're drafting Austin Seferian Jenkins in a two tight end standard league. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, You know, and I think you can make a similar case just from a cost perspective for like Robbie Anderson. Just just because
0: he's in line to see like 120 to 130 targets this season. I mean, below Powell commanded 75 targets out of the backfield last year, top four in the NFL that could go to 85.
1: They already want to talk. They're already talking about trying to trade Matt Forte.
0: If they trade Matt Forte, his targets could go to 95. Right.
1: I think that he's, he's in a similar spot. As he he's he's going to probably see more volume through the air, I would assume, or similar volume as like a Danny Woodhead, but Woodhead has more upside because he could end up seeing some goal line looks in that offense. O'Powell Will too, especially if Forte is gone, but they're just not going to be in the red zone very often.
0: All right, let's go back to talking about premium players. I love talking with you about premium players. I spend so many shows just talking about the late round guys, late round everything, late round everything. We're giving people what they want, talking about Des Bryant, right? Talking about Terrell Pryor, talking about early round players. So let's keep it going. Let's keep the magic flowing. What am I missing with Melvin Gordon? how is he not an amazing football player and a locked in top 6 pick okay so
1: i think that this is a scenario where inefficiency should be looked at in some way it's being it's being canceled out essentially with melvin gordon by the offense that he's in and the insane market share target market share <laughs> rushing market share <laughs> That he's, that he's going to see. There's, there's no competition there. His competition is Brandon Oliver and, and freaking Andre Williams. So And you by the way, you can't say Andre Williams without saying frickin' before saying Andre Williams. It's, it's
0: literally impossible. Well, Mike Clay said that that's going to hurt his goal line carries. That Andre Williams will cannibalize short yardage touches. And he reduced he reduced Melvin Gordon's projection because of the presence of Andre Williams. That happened.
1: I, I mean, I disagree with that. But <laughs> I'll, I'll say... i think. exhausted. I've done. I I did. You know. I mentioned earlier with the Todd Gurley thing, with the the rushing net expected points per rush versus success rate. And if you really want to pinpoint a guy who profiles to be like this year's Todd Gurley, production wise, it's actually Melvin Gordon, because Melvin Gordon had really good efficiency from an expected points standpoint, uh, terrible efficiency from a yards per carry standpoint, and his success rate was very very low last season. Um, but it doesn't matter because of the offense that he's in, that that's, that's what it comes down to. But if you're talking, what are you missing with Melvin Gordon? That's, that's what I would argue is what you're missing is that he, he was inefficient last season, despite the fact that he did a ton in fantasy football. I mean, he was, a, he's a, he's a beast. I, I, he's a beast. I have him at RB4. I think you can make an argument that he's RB3. Um, I, I i have no problem with you taking him there. He's a beast. Um, But that's, to me, would be the downside is that the inefficiency somehow, some way makes
0: him not as fantasy viable if he wasn't such an efficient monster and one of the most prolific running backs in college football history you'd buy into it more i would be a little more concerned yeah but i understand why they drafted him in the first round even though you never draft a running back in the first round but i understand the fascination with him the year he was drafted i get it it was deserved we've seen what he can do well over seven yards a carry behind a competent offensive line if the offensive line is competent this year they already lost Forrest Lamp to injury, so it's trending in the wrong direction. But if the offensive line can be competent, if he could have Jordan Howard's offensive line, I think yeah, then then you would see efficient Melvin Gordon. Then yeah. you see efficient Melvin Gordon in an offense that's scoring a lot of points, with a lot of red zone visits, and he's catching a lot of passes out of the backfield, catching 50 passes this year perhaps that number just keeps going up. He's been efficient in the passing game, high catch rate. That's the makings of a true bell cow back that can challenge a David Johnson, that can challenge a Le'Veon Bell. He's the only guy that can do it. He's the only guy that has the raw material and the situation to challenge Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson. When I say, what am I missing? That's what I'm missing, because I'm not hearing that. I'm hearing, get him because of opportunity. I'm not hearing, he has what it takes to be one of the three elite backs in the league. Right there with David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell. I feel like I see it. I feel like others don't, and I'm okay with it. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. That's a flag that I've planted. It's out there on my lawn. It's waving in the wind. There's the flag right there. It's got Melvin Gordon's face on it, and I'm fine with it. The neighbors don't know what the hell it is. They're going to report me to the homeowners association. I don't care. I think that it's
1: it's a very fair point to make. Uh I, I would say, and not that you made this argument because you didn't, I would say that if someone's argument is that the defense is really good, they're gonna see more positive game scripts, yada yada, yada. They had plenty of positive game scripts last season. Uh they were actually fourth in the league in uh in in uh point margin. At the start of a drive, they were fourth in the league and they still only won five games. Just
0: get out. They had some comical losses last season. Yeah,
1: that's that's why. I mean, it's crazy. So I'm not I wouldn't buy into if if someone's making that argument, I wouldn't buy into that. I think that the, the argument you do have to buy into is. Like you said, the offense he's in, he's going to see a ton of targets. He's going to see goal line work, all of the above makes total sense. I mean, I, I think that, you know, prior to what we've seen in the preseason and this change in Buffalo, you could have made the argument for LaShawn McCoy just in general from a redraft perspective, um, being, being, just given the volume that he's going to see at this point, you can't make that argument. You shouldn't be, I don't think drafting LaShawn McCoy ahead of Melvin. Um, so I, I, I get it. Um, but I, I, you know, if you want to look at a downside with Melvin, it's like I said, it's just the inefficiency.
0: It's just interesting to look at the ADPs and to see Melvin Gordon so close to Jordan Howard. Yeah, that's crazy for me to see those players so close. And my perception is there's a chasm between them. Your Twitter handles at late round QB. And you don't draft quarterbacks early. That's your thing, man. People say I have a shtick. That's your shtick, man. You don't take quarterbacks. You're too cool to take quarterbacks. J.J. Zacharyson's not out here taking quarterbacks. I don't take your stinking quarterbacks. I'm too good for quarterbacks. That's who I am. I'll take everyone but a quarterback. Get out of here with your filthy quarterbacks. I'm better than that. I'm better than you. I'm J.J. Zacharyson. It's definitely my persona. Definitely my persona. (laughs) But, but in a scenario. Where you're drafting against 11 other JJ Zacharysons, what is the earliest you would take Aaron Rodgers? Well, hopefully all the other JJ
1: Zacharysons understand that drafting your quarterback late in the late round quarterback, it's not about a game of chicken. It's never been about a game of chicken. It's not just about you have to get your quarterback late. It's that that's generally where quarterbacks fall in fantasy drafts, or you can get usable guys back there. And given that quarterbacks get drafted early, especially in more casual leagues, you can take advantage of opportunity cost in getting those quarterbacks. Quarterback's late. So that's the main reason why the late round quarterback exists. The supply and demand of the position, yada yada, yada. Where would I draft Aaron Rodgers? You know, I give a pretty
0: lame answer for this all the time. Wait, someone's asked you this question before? Yeah, I mean this I get this question all the time, man. Oh shit. I thought I was being original. I thought of this <laughs> question in the shower. I was like, ooh, I got a nice original question for JJ. I get it all the time. Do they preface it by saying "What if you're drafting against 11 other JJ Uh they,
1: they they preface it by not that exact way of phrasing, but they'll say "What if everyone else is drafting quarterbacks?" Like, yeah, but mine was more creative. Yours was more creative. Uh, but I'll I'll say that it depends on how you're feeling about how the draft is unfolding, uh, and and what you're where you're at with running backs and wide receivers. So generally speaking, though. I wouldn't go until I wouldn't get him or get a quarterback until round six or so, mostly because that's that's filling out your running back and wide receivers. And if you feel very, very confident in your starting lineup that way, then okay, you can go and grab one. I will say this, though, too. I'm much more open to getting an early round quarterback in leagues that are, say, eight teams deep mostly because I'm not ignoring the fact that Aaron Rodgers gives you an advantage in fantasy football. He gives you an advantage in fantasy football. What I'm playing into is the fact that not any fantasy team in this world is going to be perfect. What you're doing when you're drafting your quarterback late is you're gaining edges at running backs and wide receivers. And what you're also doing is you're, you're playing into variance And the fact that number one, you're going to get running back and wide receiver picks wrong because they're going to bust because they're not good, but they're also going to get injured. Quarterbacks get injured at a much lower rate. So what you're doing by drafting, getting a library full of running back, and wide receivers is that you're you're playing into you're, you're giving yourself more of a cushion for when those inevitable things happen and if they don't happen then you have valuable assets on your bench that you can trade I'll never trade for a quarterback either generally but
0: you would never you would never
1: no but there, there are there are certain scenarios where I'm going to be more open to getting a quarterback early just because you know if it is a short if it is an eight-team league you need every little edge that you can possibly get uh, and, and just because obviously there's going to be better lineups out there and as a result of that, I feel a lot more comfortable getting earlier round tight ends, earlier round quarterbacks uh, because you also know that you're going to be able to get you know a guy like kareem hunt's going to be a late fourth rounder in an eight team league rather than a, an early third rounder or a mid third rounder. so that's kind of
0: the approach that I take with the quarterback position in general. Yeah, like zero RB, late round quarterback is a humble strategy it's the humble approach recognizing we're going to be wrong and acting accordingly. Yes. And a lot of NFL teams are wrong on draft day. I mean, look at Deshaun Watson. Oh, my God. Catastrophic. Right up there with Mike Williams. If you were a Clemson player drafted in the first round, you look like an epic bust right now. True. So who was your favorite pick of the NFL draft in terms of fit and value? I'm so mad. The last time I was on here, we were talking
1: prospects and you asked me what wide receiver I like more than where people are valuing them. And I mentioned Taewon Taylor and I, you know, I still like Taewon Taylor. Um, but I wish to God and I, Look, like I know that I'm just saying this now, and it seems so hindsight. But you can talk to my to our buddies, Rich Rebar, Denny Carter. I've talked to them about this because I talked to them about about uh, prospects that were popping up a lot in my model. The dude who ranked third in my model, you talked to me about this. It was Kenny Galladay? Yeah, and I talked to, right. I talked to, yeah. I talked to you about this as well. But I'm saying yeah. Is it Kenny Galladay? Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. But but I'm saying yeah. I'm saying, though, I'm saying, though, before the draft, like way before the draft, when I was I was kind of formulating this model and fixing it up a bit and and Galladay popped and I'm like, I I barely even know knew anything about Kenny Galladay. So I wasn't very forceful with it. And I'm so pissed off that I wasn't. And I only was after Detroit ended up taking him in the third round. I'm like, holy God, like this guy popped in my model and now he's a third round pick and he's in an offense that he fits so perfectly in this offense because they don't have a true X receiver and he's He played all over the field in college, but he's – he is the perfect X receiver in this offense. You throw Golden Tate in the slot, his more natural position, Put Marvin Jones as a flanker. It, it's it. Kenny Galladay can easily, easily, I, I would almost project it for him to be the top scoring rookie wide receiver in fantasy football this year.
0: That is the ideal talent configuration for the Lions passing game. You just outlined it and you're right. Kenny Galladay is the prototypical NFL X receiver. Put him out on an island. Let him be Des Bryant, who's a first round pick baby
1: baby tron for the record baby tron baby
0: tron baby tron great nickname excellent job taking calvin johnson's nickname megatron who retires from the same team the detroit lions and then modifying it slightly and giving it to the next calvin johnson on the same team <laughs> brilliant job by you crafting that nickname bad job not trusting your process that's why they say trust the process trust the process trust the process when you saw that third round pick come in you were screaming at yourself god damn it jj trust the process
1: but here's the thing you know that i'm this season i was a lot newer to the prospect process in general so i wasn't as confident naturally but but now i'm like hell yeah next year i'm coming on this podcast matt oh yes
0: yes and we're going ham yes Yes, it's just it's shooting in all directions. That's how we like to play it. We talked about late-round quarterback. What about late-round tight end? Let me guess. Let me guess. Let me peer into my crystal ball here. Here it is. Is my crystal ball here. What am I looking at in here? Oh, who's that? It's coming into focus now. It's coming into focus. He's slow. You're going to be wrong. He's white.
1: You're going to be wrong. You're already
0: wrong. He's actually an H back, not even a real tight end. <laughs> is, is, it, is, it, is it Jack Doyle? I'm not actually drafting much Jack Doyle. What? No, I, I, I was. Dude, the whole cold sock stuff- I'm a living the stream listener. You had episodes devoted to Jack Doyle last year and now Dwayne Allen's gone. How are you not touting Jack Doyle? Because I'm not touted. I
1: hate the Colts offense. I can't stand the Colts offense. If All right. if Andrew Luck is not there, they have a
0: crappy offensive line. The whole team, the defense is atrocious. Wait, Andrew Luck might not be there. I drafted him in the Roto World League. What happened? Something wrong with Andrew Luck? <laughs> some something minor is happening
1: with Andrew Luck. So we'll see we'll see what happens with Andrew Luck. The guy that I'm targeting most at tight end is Eric Ebron this season. I'm I'm I've bought in Hey ho Similar reasons to the way that I feel about Amari Cooper, to a degree, to a degree, in terms of being more having more of a conscious effort to use him in the red zone. Problem with Ebron is that he doesn't have he's never had the profile of being a touchdown scorer, mm. so that's 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 the fear. But Eric Ebron, at the very least, was a high-end tight end two, low-end tight end one last year last last year on a week-to-week basis, uh, in PPR leagues. Only seven tight ends had more top-12 weeks. Than Eric Ebron had Uh, Ebron, obviously uh, Anquan Bolden's out in that offense. He was set. He had the second most red zone targets last season. Anquan Bolden retired. Yeah, he did. He's gone. I don't know if you heard. No,
0: I got to update my projections. Hold on, everybody.
1: Anquan Bolden being gone takes away a threat um, in that red zone. Basically, what I'm doing here, Matt, is I'm saying, no, he
0: was a threat. He's seeing he's seeing the second most. My wheels are turning Because on the one hand, you have a Baby Tron entering the scene. It's called hedging, Matt. And on the other hand, you have an Eric Ebron who is the incumbent who is destined to have this red zone target share bequeathed on him. He's not ready for Kenny Galladay to come and start eating his lunch. What happens at the lunch table when Kenny Galladay walks over to Eric Ebron, takes his lunch, and goes and sits down at a different table? What's Eric Ebron going to do then? Then I still win. 'Cause you have Kenny Galladay. This is what I do. I do this sometimes too. Look, I don't draft them I don't I don't draft them on the same teams or anything. Oh no, it's tout hedging. It's tout hedging. Yes. We're gonna be right. We get to fly a flag no matter what. I don't care when I'm wrong. Just let me be right once a week. So I can wave a flag around and have a good time. I'll say, I'll say this though. I don't think,
1: I I think this is Ebron's year more. So obviously Bolden played uh, a high percentage of his, of his uh, snaps in in the slot and he ran a a lot of routes in the slot. And that's obviously where Ebron's going to be lined up. But The other thing, too, is I I think Galladay
0: is still going to there's going to be some time.
1: Uh, I I, I think that Galladay is much better just
0: obviously as a dynasty stash. He's a developmental prospect. He's a great guy to have on your dynasty taxi squad. We don't want to get out over our skis with Kenny Galladay. At the end of the day, he's coming from northern Illinois. Right, exactly. Marvin Jones and Golden Tate and Eric Ebron are established incumbent starters. He's not going to crowd out much target share from those guys. And Eric Ebron has a diminished brand. He's a damaged brand, tight end, just like Vance McDonald. Why? Drops. Drops are not aesthetically pleasing. I get it. They don't look good. And... Jeremy Fowler from ESPN is happy to give you stats on Vance McDonald's drop rate as if that matters. And you hear fantasy analysts talk about Eric Ebron's drop rate as if that matters. It does not matter. What's the target share? What's the red zone target share? Well, the red zone target share trailed the target share significantly for Eric Ebron. That is going to come back into line. And that's where we're going to see those touchdowns quadruple this season. Sorry, I blacked out. What did I just say?
1: I I don't even know. Was that a good take?
0: That's good. Yeah, you did, did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I knew that was a great take. Uh, <laughs> this is a pet question of mine that I've been going to lately. I like it. It's a hobby horse question. Who's the player you hated two years ago that you appreciate now? Um... Uh-oh. Well, let's play the Jeopardy sound again.
1: Oh, okay, I got it now. I couldn't remember who I had on my list as this for this. a tough one. You wouldn't be the first expert that's been stumped. No, 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 no. I'm not stumped. I, I, first of all, I don't hate anyone, Matt. Indignant on. <laughs> the stumped accusation. I don't I don't hate anyone. Let's just throw that out. I'm all about love. We don't hate
0: anybody. We just hate ADPs.
1: Two two guys two guys that, that popped, pop into my mind, though, uh, that I appreciate now from a fantasy perspective. One of them is very, very obvious. It's Devontae Freeman. I wasn't into him coming out and as a rookie and, and whatnot. And he's very, very clearly a very good running back. Raise my hand. Yeah, that's one. The other one is actually kind of interesting. I drafted him in the Roto World League. It's Ben Roethlisberger. From a fantasy perspective, I never, ever— gave two craps about Ben Roethlisberger. Ever. But I'm kind of intrigued by him this season with Martavis back. The schedule's pretty nice. His road games are are strong. And we know that he has those
0: home road splits. And the Steelers just acquired an elite tight end.
1: Yeah, but by the way, they have a top five tight end now in Bass McDonald. <laughs> but but no, I I, I like Big Ben uh, from a fantasy perspective. I think that, that he's an easy top 10
0: guy. I think that he could easily finish in the top five this season. If he stays healthy, that's obviously a big if. Love that take. Love Ben Roethlisberger because you start to think about it. Like, wait a second. Let me get this straight. So he has the best receiver. He has the best running back. He has one of the most athletic size speed specimens at the wide receiver position. Ever. And that's not even the best receiver on the squad. Yeah. They have one of the best college receivers we've seen in a while, Juju Smith-Schuster. They have an ideal slot receiver in Eli Rogers. Just ideal. Great agility score and nothing else. That's what you want in your slot receiver. They now have one of the best tight ends of all time in Vance McDonald. You have to start to do the math on this guy. Once you start to do the math, if we're giving all these fantasy points to all these other pieces... You have to give a lot of fantasy points to Ben Roethlisberger. That's how that works. Similar to Sam Bradford. They're not going to go down to the one-yard line and run Le'Veon Bellin 22 times. That's not going to happen. That's not how this is going to work. Final hobby horse question, the question I ask everyone. Who's that guy, that Adam Thielen, for this year, the wide receiver you qualify for truther status on?
1: I think this season it's got to be got be Devin Funches, right? Two years in the league, hasn't done any hasn't done really anything at all. Nothing.
0: Catch rate below 50% last year.
1: Gonna be on the field in a new, hopefully different offense that could favor him a
0: little bit more. Calvin Benjamin's looked really, really good though, which sucks. It sucks, right? Doesn't that suck? I mean, Calvin Benjamin is frustrating because we know he's not good at football, but he flashes. He flashed in week one last season against Denver. Remember that? So he's the best example of one of those guys you draft just because you hate. I did that in this Roto World League. I drafted Eddie Lacy, a guy I hate just because he fell into the double-digit rounds. And I'm like, I've never done this. I've never drafted this player named Eddie Lacy. I've heard of him. I've never actually had him on an actual fantasy team. But there's a first for everything. So wait, who's that guy for you? The guy that, I, uh, that I'm
1: taking and I hate taking him? Yes. Uh, I, I, I got a, a Cooper Cup.
0: Oh, come on! No! No!
1: Uh, I I got a, a Cooper Cup.
0: Oh come on! No! No!
1: It's Cooper Cup. He just, just at me when he leads the team in, in receptions this year, it's going to look, we talked about, I, I, you know, I don't like Cooper cup. We talked about this the last time I was on the show. And then we were like, I remember I said, he's going to fall to the Rams and everything's going to be fine. And then Sean McVay comes and then the, the everything changes and the whole Rams offense looks different and they get offensive linemen. They get Sammy Watkins, Jared Goff, lowest air yards per attempt last season in the league. Cooper Cup is going to have an A-dot of minus 0.2 this season. He's going to catch like 65 balls. And it's just, that's he, he's Cole Beasley in the, for the Rams.
0: By the way, show's over. That'll be in the outtakes, though. I never let a good take hit the cutting room floor. Always ends up, at least in the outtakes admirable that you don't hate players admirable because they're gladiators that are destroying their bodies for our pleasure I mean it's blood sport so I understand why the guys participating in blood sport deserve our respect but I'm allowed to hate Cooper Cup you're filthy quarterbacks I'm better than that I'm better than you I'm JJ Zacharyson. it's definitely my persona definitely my persona you were hitting all the notes you were the Beatles
1: No, no 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 I'm not stumped we did
0: it. We changed minds. Hearts and minds being changed from playerprofiler.com and Roto Underworld Radio. I don't care when I'm wrong. Just let me be right once a week so I can wave a flag around and have a good time. Don't you dare take Sam Bradford on me. I've been taking a lot of Sam Bradford as my QP you know? Don't you dare do it. Don't you dare do it. Am I going to have to take Sam Bradford around before I normally would? When's the, What's the final round? Round 16? I guess I'll own my first Eddie Lacey ever in my life. The guy that you that you begrudgingly took. August is fake. But but it's it's you're going to it doesn't matter. You uh, you're it's just people that you can somehow trap and, and pull into your web for the full season. Yeah. The guy that's listening to our shows, I don't want to be in that guy's league. Be game over. RIP me. Because I can't listen to everyone's podcast. He's listening to all yours and mine. He knows more than I do. That's true. He's better than I am. Yeah, no, that's true. It's a good point. He listens to the Late Round podcast and the Roto Underworld podcast. If he doesn't miss an episode, that guy's invincible. Even I couldn't beat that guy in a a fantasy league.
1: That's true. That's true. That's true. Whiteguyblinking.gif was exactly like I was doing that in, in real life. Uh, a dude got him in the third, so he gets Kareem Hunt in the third, and then he turns it around and gets Ty Montgomery, and I'm sitting there and I'm like,
0: yes, good work.
1: Very, very good work.
0: Ty Montgomery in the fourth is is badass. It's easy though, because there's no one else there. I really, I'm really gonna pin you down with this Terrell Pryor Amari Cooper question. The elite speculation wide receivers. Editor in chief. I used to say editor in chief
1: forever. It's really annoying to say at the start of because like am I, cause you're going quick,
0: you know, and you're and then you like and like your your tongue slips and then you gotta do it again. And then I also have to make sure I don't have certain syllables back to back because they really are tongue twisters when you're trying to be like a ninja with your language. It's fucking hard, man. God, listen to us. We sound so obnoxious. We're podcast elitists. You guys just sound like assholes. Talk about sports. Yeah, I wish I could do that.
1: Must be nice to be wrong all the time. Must be nice to be wrong all the time.
0: It must be nice to be wrong all the time. Just talk about sports all day. That's how how
1: I read my mentions exactly like that.
0: Weren't you the guy that liked Buck Allen last year?
1: Your mentions and your ats are most definitely more intense than mine are because of the stances and the the way that you approach all this. There's no doubt in my mind.
0: The way that I approach all of this, that is the perfect way. Everyone in the fantasy community knows exactly what you're talking about. That was exactly perfect. Nothing else needed to be said. You'll openly trash an analyst. You'll do it. You
1: know that you'll do it. And you know that if you're throwing that kind of stuff out there,
0: people are going to throw it back. Grenades. And I don't care if you're a subscriber. I don't care if you've purchased everything we have to offer online. If you try to ask me a question on Twitter, I will belittle you. They're masochists, man. They want to be punched in the face. I'm telling you, this is Fight Club. They come to be punched in the face. You're an insane human being. This is what they want. They love it. I'm telling you. I mean certain people don't and they're very vocal about it. The iTunes reviews, the YouTube comments, the Twitter mentions. There are certainly plenty of people that don't like it. They don't get it, they don't want it. They hate me. I understand. But there is this basement, a bunch of us get together and throw punches and we have fun. I hear you. I'm I just stick I just stick to analytics and dad jokes. You were hitting all the notes. You were the Beatles. <laughs> that was- you know, I have a grungy guitar, I'm like the Kinks. Must be nice to be wrong all the time. There's a 4.0 student right here. You're a 4.0 student at Roto Underworld University. I did well in college. Well, I like Brandon Cooks, but Julian Edelman's not going away. Well, Julian Edelman just went away! He just went away! The thing you wanted to happen, just happened! The thing you said needed to happen. For it to happen, for Brandon Cooks this year happened.
1: You're an insane human being.
0: Wait, Andrew Luck might not be there. I drafted him in the Roto World League. What happened? Something wrong with Andrew Luck? Something minor is happening with Andrew Luck. Anquan Bolden retired? Yeah, he did. He's gone. What's Eric Ebron going to do then? Then I still win. I drafted Allen Robinson in a handful of leagues, and I had to hold my arm down with my other arm and then then sort of slide my other arm over my hand, wait, wait, no, I had to hold my hand, I had to hold my other hand down with my other, I had to hold my mouse hand down with my other hand and then slide, slowly slide the other hand to get to the mouse finger and have my left hand force my right hand to click the button to draft Allen Robinson. Must be nice to be wrong all the time. He's Dez Bryant. At some point, we can't overthink it. At some point, we just have to try to make fantasy football easy. And not try to overthink every conceivable iteration of our fantasy team. Sometimes we just have to be in a fantasy draft and see Dez Bryant outside the first round and go, That's probably a good idea! It's probably safe, if you're outside the first round, to draft Des fucking Bryant! That's probably a good idea. Oh, wait, their running back is Darren McFadden, and Des Bryant's 100% healthy, and Dak Prescott, by all accounts, is awesome. Well, I think we should uh, draft Des Bryant. You're an insane human being. Same thing with Adam Seal. Ce- I almost called him Adam Sealing. <laughs> right, right, right apropos on multiple levels Adam of ceiling you're an insane human being well jesse james isn't very good jesse james wasn't very productive he's not a great athlete That's not matter he's a starter for the pittsburgh steelers uh, until he's not you're an insane human being everyone that comes on this show make sure they preface any analysis of rookie running backs they start with, "I'm not a big Leonard Fournette guy," but but if you if you look at but but if you if you look at but but if you if you look at because he's going to be on the field a lot more than those guys. So just write down Kareem Hunt, lots of opportunity. I don't know why I said that. Anything was going to be good there. Write down. I had it all set up. I had it all set up, and I just blew it. I had nothing. I wanted to say something that just would ring true, you know, at a turn of a phrase, you know, do my thing, and I set it all up, and I said, write down an opportunity. I- <laughs> it's almost like you did some research. I wanted so badly to mock him for that. Now I'm drafting him. I can't wait to get him. I mean, I'm like, get this guy, right? I mean... You're an insane human being. Because any opportunity, any snap you take away is a potential touchdown you're taking away. Now, every snap has been taken away from Jesse James. I'm sorry, Jesse. God, why do I do this to people? He's just a football player trying to carve out a career and make money and support his family. You're an insane human being. Look at the college dominator on playerprofiler.com, Mrs. McDonald. And she said, what the hell is playerprofiler.com? And I said, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. See, I did the opposite. You've just traded for Tyrod Taylor. And you just have to eat it. (laughs) You're an insane human being. Because you could see him... Up at the podium shaking hands with Roger Goodell holding up that Bears jersey. There are pictures online of Kevin White holding up the Bears jersey, and he has this look on his face like, uh oh. Uh Uh-oh. That's how you do your player evaluation, right? Yeah, Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I just I go, I test. Not on the field. Right, on the podium. I test at the podium. I test on the stage at the NFL draft. That's when I make my snap judgments, my final decisions about players. No, absolutely. You're you're dead on there. As someone who's been cursed all preseason with injuries to the players I've touted, I don't feel for Christopher Harris at all. <laughs> like a zeppelin exploding in the sky. Just watch it burn. You're an insane human being he reduced Melvin Gordon's projection because of the presence of Andre Williams. That happened. I, I mean, I disagree with that. If you're comically wrong, that has value in embracing and embracing for my takes to be wrong.
1: My, my whole thing on my podcast is that like, guys, like I'm gonna be wrong all the time. I, I'm giving you advice to increase your variance of, uh, inc- shorten the variance and increase your probability of hitting on players. That's all this is.
0: I like this player, but I don't really like this player. I thought I liked this player, but then I thought about it and I thought, no, I, I actually don't like this player that much. And I'm not doing an impression of anyone there. No one. That's not an impression that I'm doing of anyone that wasn't Christopher Harris. Sorry, I blacked out. What did I just say? I,
1: I don't even know. Is that a
0: good take? That's good. Yeah, you did,
1: did a good job. <laughs> Must be nice to be wrong all the time.